Welcome to Trawler Talk, the official podcast of Passage Maker Magazine, the long-range cruising authority. I'm your host, Editor-in-Chief Jeff Moser. If this is your first time here, welcome, and if you're a returning listener, thanks for coming back. Before we get into our latest podcast, I'd like to thank our sponsor, America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. The adventure of a lifetime is America's Great Loop. Discover the breathtaking beauty of our nation's waterways as you embark on a journey like no other. Cruise through historic canals, serene lakes, and vibrant rivers, all while immersing yourself in diverse cultures and charming towns. Start your unforgettable journey today and make memories that'll last a lifetime. Visit greatloop.org and plan your adventure. It's our 30th episode of Trello Talk, and there's no one more fitting than our guest, Kim Russo, director of America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. I reached out to Kim, who's somewhere along the loop, how fitting, to learn more about the function of the AGLCA, how the association helps its members with planning and itineraries, what limitations one might encounter along the way, how social media has improved the loop experience, and what kind of changes she's seen in the last few years. What I learned for starters is there's no really no wrong way to do the loop. You don't have to do it all in one shot. It's whatever works for you, and I like that. I also wanted to take this time to shatter a few of our other active interest media podcasts that I've been listening to. Those are Angler's Journal Podcast and Power Modia Podcast. Both publications are putting out riveting, interesting episodes on the regular. I highly recommend subscribing to wherever you get your podcast fixed, download it, and enjoy. Without further ado, here's Kim Russo. Hello, Kim. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, so I know you're based in Charleston, but you're not there right now. Can you tell us about your current location? Yeah. So I am on a side trip to the Great Loop. I'm kind of in the midst of my own Great Loop. Um, but we are currently on a Tennessee River side trip. So coming to you today from outside of Huntsville, Alabama. But our planned summer cruising is to head all the way up to Knoxville. So summer into fall, mm-hmm. we'll do the entire navigable length of the Tennessee River and then come back down in time for an AGLCA event in Joe Wheeler State Park, which is our fall rendezvous. And then head back towards the Gulf after hurricane season is over and across my wake in Fort Myers. So hopefully I'll do that sometime in December of this year. Wow, that's great. And you you got delayed on your on your loop recently. Is that right? Yeah, I actually started um, and it's my very first loop. I've done kind of local cruising in little parts of the Great Loop. But my first entire Great Loop started in February of 2022 from Fort Myers Mm -hmm. with the intention of returning there by December of 2022. Uh, Hurricane Ian, of course, took out most of the dockage there in downtown Fort Myers. So we held up in Panama City Beach for a while Mm -hmm. for the winter, kind of let things shake out in Fort Myers. And as happens to a lot of loopers, life kind of got in the way, various family and work-related things. And we spent a lot longer in Panama City Beach than we intended, which is fine because it has a lovely place to spend the winter. But when spring came and we were still there, we decided it was a great opportunity. Instead of shooting across the Gulf and then being in hurricane season down there, we turned around and went back up to the river system and headed for the Tennessee River. It was kind of the next cruising grounds on our list after the loop. Mm -hmm. So we figured why not just incorporate it and and do it now. So uh, delayed crossing my wake by probably about a year when all is said and done, but uh, not really looking forward to it being over. so, So that's okay. You make a good point. I mean, there's really no one correct way to do the 6,000 or so miles of the Great Loop. And people might hear that number and think that's daunting, you know, with a heap of planning. But um, you explain that, you know, there's there's different ways to do it and there's different ways to plan, correct? Yeah, there is absolutely 
no right or wrong way to do this. Um, there's an active discussion on our forum right now from somebody looking for advice on cruising three weeks at a time and then stopping for three weeks and then picking up again, you know, just based on their work schedule. So no right or wrong way. It's actually not all that uncommon um, for people to take an interruption like I did. And at first I was kind of really stressed out about that of, I really just want to cross my wake. And then I realized it wasn't about checking that box mm -hmm. for me. It was about the experience. And I was kind of putting some pressure on myself as the director of the association to, to finish it when I realized that life is going to happen. It's going to happen to many loopers. So we've had other people be delayed. We've had people intentionally do short segments over the course of many years. So mm -hmm. no right or wrong way. The, the objective is to cover the entire route, whether that's, in one continuous trip or multiple smaller trips, or sometimes it's two trips spread out by 10 years in between. If you have done all of the waterways of the Great Loop, completing the circuit, so to speak, then you've done the loop. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of a story uh, a couple of years back where someone completed the Appalachian Trail in record time. And I think my response to it was, I like to give the reward to someone who did it the longest period of time. So <laughs> it's at your own pace. You know, it's interesting. I hear from a lot of people who are considering trying to break the speed record on the Great Loop. Mm -hmm. And again, to each their own, we don't track what the speed record is. I don't know who's done it the fastest. I have some guesses. And, I, you know, I know some boats who have done it pretty darn quick. Mm -hmm. um, everybody's objective is different. A lot of loopers are really out there to experience everything they can see, both on the water, but also on shore in these different places. So, to me, having the extra time is super fortunate that I can work aboard. And obviously, my job as the director of the association is pretty supportive for me to do the loop. It works. Uh, so I consider myself pretty fortunate that that all works out and I can take my time and, and see everything I want to see during this opportunity. I totally agree with you. Um, that gives us an opportunity to talk about like the function of the AGLCA. Can you go into that for us? So we are basically the organization for people who are dreaming about or actively planning or currently doing the loop. A lot of our goal loopers, which is anybody who's completed the whole great loop, mm -hmm. stay active so that they can give back because it's all about making the connections with other loopers. So we provide lots of information through our website, through our e-magazine, through our podcasts mm -hmm. and videos. But primarily it's those relationships that you can make with other people who are either planning or will be looping at the same time as you plan to loop mm -hmm. or getting the information from those who have been there and done that and, you know, learned all of the lessons along the way. One of, one of our gold loopers says, and I, I don't know where he got this quote, um, but you can learn from mistakes, but they don't have to be your own. So there's lots of loopers there willing to tell you about where they went wrong so you can avoid the same mishaps on your own loop. And that's really what we're all about is mm -hmm. just helping people to, comfortably, which means something different to everyone, but comfortably, safely, and successfully complete the Great Loop. Got it. Um, so you're hearing from people that are not only planning on it, but people that are in the midst of it. Maybe it's their first time and they're running into some issues. Uh, what, are coming to, what are some of the kind of the things that come across that people are having issues with or new, newbies are experiencing on the loop that you guys try to help out with? So a lot of people will come across mechanical issues. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there are health issues. Sometimes it's just a navigation question. You know, do I go a direction A or direction B through this area, which can be kind of skinny water or, or tight? Mm -hmm. And 
they can post those questions to our forum. We'll be able to get answers both from people who are local or people who have recently been through that area. But we also have a network of harbor hosts around the route. There are almost 600 of them. Oh, wow. And they are basically your local connection. So if you arrive someplace with a mechanical issue or a toothache or a dog who needs a vet, it's like having a friend in every town. You can reach out to them, and they will help you with local resources. And some of them will give you rides to places since you're arriving without any ground transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, it's just about those connections. So those are some of the kind of um, minor obstacles that people might face. There are also larger obstacles when there are things like lot closures or flooding or things beyond our control that perhaps could be happening. And, of course, this season there mm-hmm. is a – Big lot closure on the Illinois waterway that is kind of the major obstacle for loopers uh, because that waterway will not be passable until October 1st if everything stays on schedule. And typically loopers would be coming through Chicago Mm -hmm. and into the Illinois waterway generally sometime in September. So it's just going to be a little bit later than normal. But it, of course, is a big bottleneck as the boats start to arrive at Chicago and have to wait to get through there. I mean, that's a great place to stay, to stay and, and you know hang out for a month. But there will be a logjam there waiting to, for that yeah. to open, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, Most certainly. There are some other um, limitations there in Chicago, too. Air draft and um, beam and length to consider as well. Can you talk about those? Yes. So the lowest bridge on the Great Loop, the lowest fixed bridge, so mm-hmm. it doesn't open, yeah. no alternate way around it, is on the Illinois Waterway, at marker 300.5. It's a bit outside of Chicago, mm-hmm. um, but it has been known kind of as the Chicago Bridge, but that actually creates a lot of confusion, um, and I'll tell you why in a second, but that, that bridge, that 19.6 foot, if you cannot get under that bridge, you can't do the Great Loop. So uh, some for some boats, it's no problem for some boats. It requires taking off, you know, certain pieces of equipment or antenna. Um, people have gone so far as to hinge their radar arch to be able to drop that mm-hmm. and get under that bridge. But that's kind of the deal breaker right there is that 19.6. Okay. So the, the Chicago river itself, which is a highlight for a lot of people requires about an 18 foot uh, clearance. Oh yeah. But if you can't, and that's why there's some confusion. I see it on social media all the time. You know, what's the height of that bridge in Chicago? And you get various answers, and it's because that lowest fixed bridge is a bit outside the city. If you want to do um, downtown Chicago, as I said, it's more like 18 feet. But if you can't clear that 18-foot bridge in downtown Chicago, there is an alternate route, which is the CalSag, which comes in from um, just kind of south of the city from Hammond, Indiana. Those two routes meet up before that 19.6 foot bridge. So, um, uh, but the 19.6 is really the, the number to remember if you want to do the loop. Okay. I can see how that could be confusing with the Chicago bridge, mm-hmm. getting into downtown right. Chicago or just actually completing the loop with the 19.6 bridge, which is I don't know, a little bit outside of Chicago. And then people refer to that as a Chicago bridge. There's definitely some confusion there, but, uh, for sure. I can imagine that, um, since you started this, that social media has really improved the experience for people on the loop. Can you talk about that a bit? You know, I would say it has definitely improved the experience. It has definitely made the loop more of a known concept, so to speak, more popular. Um, You know, back 15 years ago, 10 years ago, even, if you were doing the loop, it was probably only a handful of family and friends that knew about it. And you, you might be writing a blog or sending home emails. Yeah. But now sharing it to social media has really increased the visibility of the loop. Uh, our Facebook group actually has over 100,000 people in it now, which is uh, 
huge number. Um, and, and there's good and bad in that, you know, mm-hmm. that has brought in a lot of people who, uh, don't haven't done the loop and really don't intend to, but it also, that is where a lot of our members share information as well. So if anybody's visiting our Facebook group, which is just the great loop, um, take it with a grain of salt. There are sometimes, you know, as social media can tend to happen, there can be some arguments there that probably aren't super necessary, um, <laughs> which is one of the good things about uh, the AGLCA forum is it kind of cuts out that noise of social media and boils it down to the people who are really doing this or have done it or the most interested in it. Um, but there also is a ton of information that you can gather on social media. It's almost kind of come to the point where it's, it's a lot to wade through. So previously, people trying to find information about the Great Loop, it was a little bit of a struggle. At this point, I think information is readily available. It's more of a challenge to try and boil it down to the most correct and the most valid information. Um, but social media is absolutely a great place to start to kind of find out more about the Great Loop. Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly true. I remember hearing this when I took over the editor's chair here at Passage Maker that people that were lifelong boaters and even with trawlers or other types of boats and they maybe moved on the trawlers from sailboats or something, they first heard of the Great Loop through an article in like National Geographic or something like that that mentioned that we're talking mm-hmm. about the Erie Canal or talking about the canal system and mentioned, oh, this is something, this is a bucket list trip that you know, U.S. boaters like to do it. They're like, well, what is this? And that was a big way to get the word out there. I'm sure you've heard that as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm. But uh, yeah, that certainly has changed with time to where this was once a trip that was mostly only known by, you know, serious lifelong boaters. Mm -hmm. It's really become something that people who have never boated before have become aware of and are putting that on as a goal, as their bucket list is to, get the skills and experience and the boat that they need for this trip. Again, a quick word from our sponsor, America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. Are you ready for an unforgettable voyage? Explore the wonders of the Great Loop now. Dive in at greatloop.org. Now let's get back to our podcast. In your experiences, now that you're on the loop, what have you learned that you couldn't learn while sitting in Charleston and running the group? Yeah, that's such an interesting question because I've presented it, you know, major boat shows on a regular basis mm-hmm. about the Great Loop. I had a lot of knowledge, and I'll kind of equate it to book knowledge, uh, but not as much of the practical experience on the full waters of the Great Loop. So a lot of people have asked me, you know, how is it different than I thought, or what have I learned from that? Mm-hmm. And the best way I can describe it is that everything, it's what I thought, but more so. So the highs are higher than I thought. The lows are lower than I thought when you do come across those challenges. Um, the scenic beauty is more beautiful than I thought. The kindness of strangers in the different towns is even kinder than I thought it could have been. Uh, so all of the experiences people have been sharing with me for many years held true. Mm-hmm. But until you experience it yourself, I don't think you can fully grasp how much of those highs and lows you're going to experience. So that's been a really neat thing. I bet. I bet. And I guess my biggest concern would be making sure there's enough fresh coffee on board and food. Is there, <laughs> is, is there some things that you've, you've come that you, you can't live without or some things that you realize, like, I, I really don't need that while, while I'm on board cruising? So uh, coffee is definitely at the top of that list, and you can get that readily available. That's good. Um, you know, from a food and beverage provisioning type perspective, mm-hmm. you can get anything you need. Um, there are plenty of Walmarts and grocery stores and 
Amazon will deliver fast enough to most places that you can just order what you need when you're only going to be in port for a couple of days. It'll get there before you leave. But that said, um, you know, going from a, a larger dirt home to a 41-foot boat, you're certainly downsizing. And it's an adjustment for sure, but I have really learned how little I really need. So in terms of what you really need, it's a much shorter list than I would have guessed. And again, I, you know, I've been hearing that for years from loopers. Oh, we took too many clothes. We took too much of this. We took too much of that. (laughs) After two weeks, we were shipping things back home that we realized we didn't need and they were just in the way. And I equipped the boat knowing that. And still have more than I need. And it's, it's just been a really interesting uh, kind of case study for me and how little I actually can need to be happy. It's very little. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I was uh, outfitting a boat for a trip last month with some people and they had, I don't know, was it 10 pounds of flour? And they were saying, oh, we're going to make bread. You know, I'm like, that flour is going to not be opened when the boat gets <laughs> to its destination several thousand nautical miles later. And I... I don't think they used it, but uh, it's funny the things that you think you may need. But uh, speaking of what we talked about, um, we could branch into like some of the obstacles that one would face when attempting to complete the loop. You know, after the after the closures and things like that, what are some of the other things right. that you wouldn't, you might not know about or might be warned about that you think are some of the biggest challenges? Yeah, I, I think the biggest challenges are the unplanned waterway closures. So mm-hmm. this, this closure I mentioned in Illinois, has been planned for years. Uh, we are kind of helping members to form into smaller flotillas to get through it. Those are much easier to, to turn that obstacle into something that's, you know, a challenge that is a little bit easier surpassing it because you're getting information and assistance. The more challenging ones are when something happens on the waterway that closes it unexpectedly. So whether that's flooding or a catastrophic lock failure that closes it unexpectedly rather mm-hmm. than the kind of maintenance we're seeing. I would say that those are the biggest obstacles that people come across. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in those things you have to, I mean, there's not much recourse. You, you have to, you, you can't get through or something else has, you have to find an alternate way. Yeah. But you know, and, and those are obstacles, but the loop has been described as, um, Easy enough to, to not be arduous, mm-hmm. but challenging enough to be an accomplishment. So when those challenges come up, I like to remind people of that. Um, if it were easy all the time, it wouldn't be such an accomplishment. But those are also the the times that turn into some of your most shared stories about the loop. Oh, yeah. And it's the times that some of those lifelong friendships that people talk about on the Great Loop are formed because you're, you know, frankly stuck somewhere <laughs> with other boats for a period of time. It's also those times that the kindness of strangers that lots of loopers talk about come into play. And what comes to mind is a closure on the Erie Canal a few years back for a uh, flooding situation. Mm-hmm. And there were some looper boats stuck along a town wall for a couple of weeks. Um, so, of course, whatever provisions they had aboard were running out. And the townspeople basically adopted them, drove them to grocery stores, and invited them to homes for dinner. And we're talking about 10 or so boats. We're not talking about a couple of people brought them groceries, took them wherever they needed to go, came mm-hmm. and visited with them. So it just really is when the kindness of people really starts to come out. And even just, I think this was just last year, a lock on the Trent Severin closed because of mechanical issues. And there's some very historic locks there. So it's not as simple as just going to pick up a part sometimes mm-hmm. when something goes wrong. 
and the big shoot marine railway which is one of the most unique locks on the great loop oh yeah was out of service for a week or 10 days it is a really remote area so the uh looper boats that were there it's also one of the last locks on the trent severn as you're heading west so to turn around and go back is a pretty significant backtrack so your choice is either to wait it out or turn around at that point uh, so of course they waited it out and there were locals who were driving 30 miles or so to the nearest grocery store and you know there were those who got a little grumpy about it but then there were those who chose to make the best of this situation and one of them made their own um, wilson out of a volleyball kind of like uh tom hanks movie <laughs> And posted, you know, on a regular basis, you know, day two, Wilson and I are still waiting at the lock and just made made a good time out of it. And that's really the attitude that turns those obstacles into the parts that you'll remember. Oh, what a funny story. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I've seen that with, I've seen that in photographs and that big shoot is quite the operation. Uh, Pretty spectacular. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's mesmerizing. It's um, so since you've been with AGLCA, um, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen from the people that are attempting and completing the loop? I, I've noticed that it's starting to, uh, the ages of participants are starting to get a little bit younger. The boat types are changing. How about you? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. We don't ask our members their age as part of our sign-up form. Mm -hmm. So anything I can tell you on that is just kind of my impressions Certainly 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was mostly retirees doing this trip. Yeah. And I would venture to say it is still mostly retirees, but we are seeing an increasing number of families on the Great Loop and an increasing number of younger couples on the Great Loop who are not yet retired and either have work schedules that have a period of time on and a period of time off mm -hmm. or can operate uh, their business or do their job from aboard. We were starting to see that before covid uh, but since COVID, we're seeing even more of that because I think that time for many in isolation proved to them that they can work from anywhere, proved perhaps to their employer that they can work from anywhere. So some families, everybody's different, but some families found that homeschooling was a great option for their children. And once you're already homeschooling, shifting to do that aboard a boat is not that big of a change. Mm -hmm. And uh, our families on the loop are some of my favorite people on the loop. The kids are getting an amazing education because they're seeing where history happened and learning from the environment of that, as well as doing their studies in, in traditional textbook type things, although they're online. Um, but these are some of the most well-adjusted, brightest, most comfortable with adults, children that I have seen. And it's really great to see the increase in the number of families choosing that kind of lifestyle. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, what a way to grow up uh, for a couple of years on a boat doing that. And technology's made it possible, you know, Starlink and other ways to, you know, basically stream content and get your work done while in fairly remote areas has made this a reality for a lot of people. Definitely. So more and more people who are able to work virtually are finding that doing from that from a boat because technology allows it is, is a game changer for them. And, you know, it works. And, and COVID was actually one thing that kind of proved to me that uh, I could work remotely, uh, still have a team back at the office in South Carolina, but everything could go along smoothly. And it really has since I've, I've been, it's going on two years that I moved aboard and we left Carlton. Huh. And from a work standpoint, it's been very smooth. That's great. That's great to hear. And um, 
Yeah. I'll help my bosses hear that, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. You you tell me you're on a Silverton, I believe, 41, and I've, I've you know, keeping track of uh, all the boats that are on the loop and the stuff that comes across here at Patches Maker and at PatchesMaker.com. Uh, tell me about some of the other vessels you've seen on the loop, like some of the unique vessels. We, we know about the trawlers. We know about some of the other boats, the cruisers and the planing boats, but maybe the smallest and the largest boats and maybe the ones that you thought were just, wow, that boat is doing the loop. That is remarkable. What comes to mind? Yeah, so some of the smaller ones, um, it has now been completed in a kayak. It's been completed in a aboard a jet ski. Um, <laughs> it was completed by somebody in a dinghy. So pretty much you name it, if it is seaworthy and can clear the bridges, it can do the great loop. But we certainly choose to focus on the seaworthy part. Yeah, let's you do know, that. I think for some very shallow draft vessels like a kayak or a uh, personal watercraft in some of the shallower areas you actually have fewer challenges than a larger boat would have uh, but you know seaworthy is the key so there are some houseboats depending on the hull design that perhaps could accomplish it safely but many of them i would very much worry about uh, i worry about you know pontoons and things like that but i'm told it has been done and i know of a tritune that finished the loop um, you know, those are kind of some of the more unusual and on the smaller side. Mm -hmm. On the bigger side, um, you know, we've had an 81-foot West Bay Sunship complete the loop. And upper 70-foot, you know, anything from 70 to 80 is unusual. But we've had uh, 78 Marlowe's, um, Azimuth's, um, let's see, what else? 74-foot uh, Viking was near the top of that list. Uh, wow. So we have had several boats that are in the... 70 to 80 foot, but that's certainly kind of an outlier. The average Great Loop boat is between 40 and 41 feet. If I average that across our entire database, it's ticked up by a few inches. You know, it had traditionally had been 41 feet. Now it's 41, I'm sorry, 40 feet was kind of the average for a long time. It's now like 40.6. Mm -hmm. So it is ticking up slightly, but not substantially. And I think that's interesting because I, I think there's somewhat of a perception that all loopers are on big yachts spending a ton of money on this and it really runs the gamut from you know like i said kind of a, a 78 foot marlowe to a 20 foot center console has <laughs> done the loop um you really make it your own adventure and that in the past it was kind of the, the folklore was that you did this on a trawler uh two people on a trawler that was that and, and that is no more it's really a little bit of everything I think some of the ones that fascinate me because this is so far beyond my skill set mm -hmm. is we've had a, home, a few home-built boats do the Great Loop. Um, and to me, the idea of building a boat, let alone one that floats and can make it 6,000 miles is just stunning to me because that is so far beyond anything I could imagine myself doing. So those are the ones that kind of make me go, wow, I can't believe this. Yeah. You see, there's, you know, my audience would like to know there's, there's not one perfect boat for the Great Loop. It's whatever you have and whatever you think could make it. And it's going to make it under some of those bridge clearances. And of course the draft and, uh, uh, beam requirements at some of the facilities. I think you can pretty mm -hmm. much take anything that's, uh, you've described. Uh, I've got one last, I've got one last one for you now for people who are listening to this and are considering taking on the loop. What should they do? Well, I would say definitely, 
get engaged. Um, I kind of already talked about the pluses and minuses of social media, but that's kind of a, a, a low cost, um, mm-hmm. you know, low risk, yeah. no barrier to entry way to start getting involved. So start to get educated. Low hanging fruit. Yes, exactly. Hmm. Um, we have a free planning guide for mm-hmm. the Great Loop that okay. you can subscribe to from our greatloop.org website. That is kind of a good way to start to put together a timeline of when this might be possible. Um, and then, of course, AGLCA membership is really the way to go as you're ready to uh, begin your planning because it's it's not just for those currently on the loop. We've got tons of resources for people who are just getting started in that planning phase, and that all can be found on the greatloop.org website. There's a lot there for non-members, but there's even more there for people who choose to join the association. Great. Yeah, and like as you said, there's no one correct way to do the loop, so just just start. Start by planning. Join greatloop.org yeah, and, um, and see where you go from there. Yeah. And you can even start without the intention of finishing right now. Like we said in the beginning, you can do this over multiple years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for your time today and enjoy the rest of your cruise. And um, hopefully you make it across your wake in Fort Myers, I believe you said, when you're... Uh, That's right. When the time is right, not when you plan it. So... Exactly, exactly. There's some things you can't control, so you just kind of have to lean into them. Well, fair winds, Kim, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. Are you ready for the adventure of a lifetime? Join America's Great Loop Cruisers Association today and immerse yourself in a vibrant community of boaters sharing tips, stories, and unforgettable experiences along the Great Loop waterways. From seasoned cruisers to new boaters, there's something here for everyone. Visit greatloop.org and begin planning your Great Loop adventure. Thank you for listening to Trawler Talk, the podcast of Passage Maker Magazine, a long-range cruising authority. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor and go ahead and click that five-star rating. We would really appreciate it. And if you're not a subscriber to Passage Maker, it's easier than ever to get our magazine delivered to wherever you lay your head. Just go to passagemaker.com slash subscribe. This episode of Trawler Talk features post-production from Nate Gruca at Active Interest Media. For Passage Maker Magazine, this is Editor-in-Chief Jeff Moser. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, fair winds and safe travels.